Thank you for my brothers and sisters that you've gathered around me here tonight so we can all enjoy our Lord, our God, and our Savior. Lord, we ask that you open your hearts and your minds tonight. So, how many have read the chapter this week? I'm just curious on mezuzah. Just Scott? Well, good. That's good. I want to repeat everything. Repeat everything. I, can, I wasn't necessarily going to repeat everything from the book, but at least some of the things that are in the notes were in the book, too, so at least I know that, that you uh, may not have read them yet. So. so, the chapter is called um, mezuzah. And you'll notice, notice, you'll notice on the, um, I got two conversations going on. What's that? I tell you, be quiet. I sit here and I try to be good. <laughs> so Zoom's is fall. Okay. Um, the, but if you'll notice in the notes there on the title, I put uh, Hanukkah Habait. Um, and that's actually the same word like Hanukkah. Did you guys have to do with Hanukkah? Everyone remember what Hanukkah means? Dedication. Dedication. So Hanukkah. That's where it says dedication of the house. So that's technically what uh, what this is about, although it's uh, called mezuzah. And who is, is anyone not familiar, or was not familiar prior to the seating, uh, what a mezuzah is? Anyone who's not, or was not? I see everybody knows so the cables were not? Okay, good. Um, do you know what it is now, or still not sure? A marking. A marking? What do you mean a marking? On the doorpost. Okay. It's a sign. Literally, well, yeah, I mean, literally nowadays, you know, what's commonly referred to as a mezuzah is a little, called a box, sometimes a small little, in fact, if you go downstairs and you come into services next, you know, you've noticed, maybe you haven't noticed, when you walk through the double doors, we've actually got one on the wall there. Have you ever know? Did you know that? So now you'll know. You take a look next, next week. We've got one. Uh, mezuzah is often, they, when you see this little box, uh, that's often what's referred to as mezuzah. However, mezuzah, the word itself, is not the little box. Mezuzah is actually the word for doorpost. It literally is the, like the side, the side of the door. Not the top part, but the side, the doorpost. And um, what is on, what is, it's what's inside of that little box, which is really the, the, the critical thing, which is some, uh, which is scripture, some, some text. And uh, I'm just going to put these notes back here. And we'll get into what that text is. I may jump around a bit here and there, different things uh, there. But there's, a, there's, a, there's some scripture in there. Just here. Um, but again, commonly people just call that whole thing a mezuzah, is what, the, what, that, what that is called. But the word itself literally means uh, doorposts. Um, and I put in notes there, the doorposts uh, themselves are threshold symbols uh, representing transitions between public and private, community, outer and inner realms. That's kind of how we can sort of, you know, more uh, abstract the idea of what a doorpost is. Um, it is a symbol. It is a sign. Uh, and again, I may jump ahead with some stuff that I'll repeat again later. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a sign 
of a couple things. You're going to see it in, in, in quote-unquote Jewish space, specifically a, a Jewish house. It uh, signifies that obviously a Jewish person lives here. I, mean, I remember we were looking at houses uh, a couple years back. You know, one of the houses we went through, usually, usually when you go through with your realtor, the occupants are not there, and the occupants were not there. And uh, but we we noticed right away there was one of these mezuzahs on every door. My realtor had no idea what it was, but my wife and I noticed the mezuzah on every door. And then I went into one room, and it was a guy's office, and I saw his his his, his law degree in the wall, and it was like Moses Mendelbaum or somebody. I'm like, okay, I think this is a Jewish person who lives here. Um, and so uh, you see them on every every door going, except for rooms. There's all there's all I'll touch on some of the traditional aspects or some of the the uh, you know rabbinical aspects of it, but traditionally, typically, in general, they're on every door to a home, other than like a bathroom, um, uh, these are in a kitchen, in a, in a kitchen. But uh, any entrance way other than those, some of those kind of rooms, um, and uh, the mezuzah is not, <clears throat> as some people might suppose, a good luck charm, nor does it have any real connection with the lamb's blood that's placed on the doorposts in the book of Exodus. However, as I put in your notes there, I believe that we can see a connection via the way of imagery uh, between that tenth plague protection of the, the blood being put on the doorpost and the mezuzah. But again, there's really no connection scripturally, biblically, there's no connection certainly in Jewish tradition between those two images. That's on the one hand. So on the other hand, uh, like I said here, while it's not meant to be a good luck charm, and it should not be a good luck charm, uh, there is a certain appeal to the mezuzah being a means of protection. But again, as we go through it, you'll see that that's not, uh, that's not what it's about. However, this is like on the one hand, on the other hand, on the other hand again, um, one of the things that's typically prominent in the mezuzah, and I'll talk about the text that is wrapped up in the text, um, but... The mezuzah will either can either be that thing that is affixed to the door. It can be something where the uh, there's actually a hole made in the door, a hollowed out section where this this uh, text can be put in. It, no matter however it's, it's it's there, traditionally the word or the letter sheen should be visible, or the entire word shaddai. The letter sheen was um, um, symbolizing that word shaddai. The sheen is this letter here. Y'all can, can read that. That's the, the Hebrew word Yod. And so the, either the Shin would be visible or the whole Shaddai would be visible there. And the word Shaddai meaning Almighty. So sometimes you hear El Shaddai, God Almighty. So that's, that's what that's about. So, in a sense, a protective kind of word. Not only that, tradition tells us that, that the, the Shin Dalit Yod in the word Shaddai is actually an acronym for uh, what I put in your notes here, Shomer Delet Yisrael. Shomer meaning keeper or protector, guardian, the one who guards uh, the door of Israel. So, it's not a good luck charm. It's not, it has nothing to do with the tenth plague, and nothing to do with protection on the one hand. On the other hand, we make sure Shaddai is shown there, God Almighty, and he's the one that protects the doors of Israel. So, there's something there to the protection on the one hand. On the other hand, it's not really there. Um, not really there from a traditional standpoint. A mezuzah, it's funny though, they talk about it, they should be just a little bit above eye level, maybe a third down from, from the top of the doorpost. Scott's laughing over there, because what's eye level for him? I mean, eye level, you know, for him it's... Is that right? <laughs> so what is eye level? Believe me, there are, there are detailed uh, prescriptions for 
um, how far down it's supposed to be, one and a half hand breadths on this size door. If the, if the uh, jam is this wide, it should be three quarters of an inch in this, this way and that way. And also you'll see, typically you'll see it nowadays where it is, um, uh, it is slanted in, inwards. I'll talk about that in a second. The text inside, I'll talk about the text in a moment also, that should be uh, pinned by a scribe. It should be removed and inspected. I mean, Rabbi Chaim and I were having a heated debate this afternoon. <laughs> He said it's every seven years it's supposed to be inspected. I said, eh, every two, three years, every couple of years. No, it's every seven years, but it's supposed to be inspected every so often uh, for the, uh, you know, to see that the, the, that the text is in still good working order. A scribe actually is not required uh, to utilize another text to copy from for this because they feel that the, 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 the lines are so short, the number of texts, the number of scriptures is so short that they couldn't do it by memory, but... It's 22 lines, but really it's not 22 verses. It's a different number of verses, but we do 22 lines to correspond with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and so on, and so on, and so on. Um, well, one of the things uh, is that it is slanted in. People say, why is it slanted in? Well, why do we keep the Torah vertical in the uh, ark? You ever thought about that? You ever notice our Torah is soared vertically? Why, why isn't it laid on this side? You know? There's a deep spiritual reason for this. That's how it's so funny. Well, you know, there's all kinds of uh, of uh, you know, there, there was a, a, a debate about this. You know, can we? Why is the Torah not laid horizontal? You know, this really became. Um, we see actually in the Middle Ages that there's artwork that shows them in the horizontal position, horizontal wall niches, and so forth. Uh, the Talmud says that that one Torah may actually be laid up upon another Torah, you know, horizontally and so forth. Um, and the reason it came out to be vertical. Uh, word is, is that, you know what, just based on space consideration <laughs> and the ease of access. In other words, uh, you know, not having one Torah on top of another, kind of easier to get to and so forth. When it came to the mezuzah, there was the one school of thought that said it should be vertical. And then actually, um, it, it's questionable who is, who's debating it. Traditionally, they say that, um, that Rashi, a great medieval uh, rabbi, said that it should be vertical. His grandson, who's called Rabbi Tom, said it should be uh, horizontal. So we got two respected rabbis. One says vertical, one says horizontal. Eh, we don't want to disrespect either one of them, so we'll kind of put them in there. <laughs> and that's, that, that is honestly where the, the, uh, the idea of the, of the mezuzah being slanted. Now, what degree, what angle of slant? I mean, some say 45, some say 30, but then again, the you know, so the point is, it slants in. That's, that's, that's the point. We, we laugh at all this, but again, I think we'll find that really the basis behind the mezuzah is pretty, is pretty good tradition. Right? That's the tradition, is that we, we compromise in the middle there. Um, so that, that's when you see it. Typically, you're going to see that nowadays on a Jewish home. It's going to be on, on the doorway. At a minimum, on the, on the, um, on the, minimum on the, on the front door, sometimes in, in many rooms of the house. It can also be, sometimes you might see a mezuzah or a replica of a mezuzah hanging around someone's neck. Uh, very controversial. Why is that? Well, there shouldn't be any scripture inside of there because that's not really the mezuzah because I haven't really even got into where the commandment for the mezuzah comes from. Um, but it can, traditionally it's accepted that it could be worn around the neck could be other places. Maybe there's a other type of way that you might see it in a jewelry setting. Maybe it's on a ring. Maybe it's on some other bracelet or something. Um, but the big part of that is regardless of how it is presented in something other than the door, 
is that it's not uh, seen as a good luck charm, okay? Not as a good luck charm. Now, we say that, but the reality is, is that that's just not the case. Quite frankly, we need to be careful with anything. I think symbols are great. Uh, symbolism is really good when you understand the, 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 what's behind the symbolism and how you sort of reconcile what the symbolism means. But the fact of the matter is, when it comes to symbolism, uh, many things can become uh, idolatrous. Uh, many things can become, you know, uh, uh, worshipped in a sense, icon- iconography and things. Um, I was reminded of a of a, uh, a book that I read recently called the Aleppo Codex, which is about a uh, a book, one of the oldest uh, uh, of the Torah and prophets that was in a, in a book form. That's what it called a codex. It was in, in Aleppo in Turkey, and there's a whole backstory, and it's really even to this day we really don't know the truth about how that book arrived in Israel uh, when, the, when the Aleppo Jews were driven out there was a big, was there was a synagogue fire was there, was there not, we're not sure was the, was the codex actually caught up in that, in that raid was it caught on fire, how was it smuggled out, when was it smuggled out at what point, you know, because now it's missing some pages is my whole point, and at what point did those pages become missing, we don't necessarily know, all that to say is that in the search for some of these missing pages they actually found some, some guy like in New York City had a fragment of the codex in his wallet, and he didn't give it up till the day till he died, and his family finally gave it up later on. But the point is, he said, "No, this is my good luck charm. This thing has brought me all kinds of good fortune over the years." And so, forth. so regardless of what we what, what's said about that, what tradition says, the fact of the matter is, often these things are used for that purpose. And if there's anything we want to get when we're done with this, looking at this night, is that the the the, um, the mezuzah or some of the other things that are commonly uh, grouped with the mezuzah. If you study the mezuzah, you'll often see them uh, grouped with things such as the prayer shawl, the talit, or the tefillin, which is the, the head wrap and the head wrap. None of these things should be seen as a good luck charm or warding off evil spirits and that kind of thing. But quite frankly, they can be. But I mean, it's not so uncommon. I mean, we've got, you know, we're going to go to the baseball game a little bit. I mean, maybe in the ninth inning, if they're down, we're going to, you know, put our hats on backwards or do something like that. Or you're going to find out that, you know, Arenado or somebody had, you know, had the same underwear on for the last week because it was superstitious or whatever. So these kind of things are very easy for us to slip into. So we need to be careful. If, to, if after tonight someone here is convinced that I want to put a mezuzah up, maybe you have one already, maybe you don't have one on every door or whatever, you want to be, you want to be convinced that you're not doing this to, to ward off evil spirits or you're not doing this as a good luck charm or anything like that, okay? Um, because, again, those, those, uh, there are those, those are the, these are... Those are the things you often, that are often grouped together, the mezuzah, the tefillin, and the, uh, and the talit. And all of them at their core, which is kind of what, what Steve had mentioned right from the outset, they all are or should be reminders of the presence of the Lord, uh, of his commandments, and of our duties to him in a sense, reminders for us to walk in his ways. That's ultimately what they should be, uh, what they should be reminding us of. Any questions so far? I may get into them, but anything based on what I've said so far, or comments. Um, so, one of the clearest things I believe, uh, for those of you who haven't seen a mezuzah, and those of you who have seen, should be kind of what I thought when I saw the mezuzah in that house I was looking at, is that, hey, a Jew lives here. Okay? You can take that a couple of different ways, but, you know, but it's like, hey, uh, this, is, this is really a, a big thing about what it says, is that a Jew lives here. That's a clear sign of the mezuzah. Okay? Um, and the Jew sees that as a, and this is not just the religious Jew. I mean, I, my father's had one on his house for 48 years, I'm sure, right there on the front door. Um, 
it's a it's a fulfillment of the commandment. Jews don't just put it up there for again protection or for to, to ward off the boogeyman or something like that, or to invite trouble into their lives. Uh, but it's hopefully to remind them of God's commandments, and they believe that it is a commandment to put the mezuzah. And again, this may be very elementary and one one to most people here, but does anybody not know what where the commandment to put that up? Where they where we've gotten that from? Anyone not know? Scott? that <laughs> Anyone else not know? Everyone else knows. Who wants to tell Scott where it comes from? Scott wants to know. Oh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, Mr. Cable. You tell. You look, he's looking in the notes. That's why. Deuteronomy 6? <laughs> Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. We read, the, we read it in English every week. So don't feel bad that you didn't know it. We just read it every week. <laughs> in verse 9 of Deuteronomy 6, verse 9, uh, talks about, you know, these commands I give you today should be upon your heart. You teach them to your children. Speak about that when you walk along the road, when you, sit, you, know, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as symbols on your hands in front between your eyes. And, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's where, that's where the, the commandment comes from. So, because of that, as far as what is on that text on the inside of the mezuzah, because the mezuzah is, remember, the mezuzah is not the box. Mezuzah really means doorpost, but really the important thing is what's inside the little box, and that is this text from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, as well as Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. And uh, I'm going to read those, because that's not as common. Most people know Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, but a lot of things are repeated in Deuteronomy, and certainly that, that verse, the, what's typically known as the Shema and the Biahafta, uh, is repeated throughout Deuteronomy as well. So Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 to 21, says, If you will only heed his every commandment that I am commanding you today, loving the Lord your God and serving him with all your heart and with all your soul, then he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, and you will gather in your grain, your wine, and your oil, and he will give the grass in your fields for your livestock, and you will eat your fill. Take care, or you will be seduced into turning away, serving other gods, and worshiping them. For then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heaven, so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit. Then you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. You shall put these words of mine in your heart and soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and fix them as an emblem on your forehead. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. So there you go. That's what's written on there. That, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, uh, Shaddai. And there's also something else written on the opposite side of the cloth, what it's called. It's written upside down. I don't, even know if, I don't even know if the distinguished twins know what's written on the other side. Yeah, I know the cloud on the paper. In addition to these two scriptures. Yeah. Do you know? So why does the distinguished rabbi tell us? I believe it. I, I'm trying to remember because I just thought of it as I was saying. It's, uh, it's actually written in code. It's written uh, like, not the, it's Adonai Eloheinu Echad, I believe, or Adonai Eloheinu Adonai or something, but it's not written in the actual letters. one letter like, for instance, Eloheinu, instead of starting with Allah, starts with bait. So it starts with the second letter, so it's a code. And so, yeah, it's written up, so it's very, very, very exciting. I don't even think I've, I've never knew that until I studied that out this week, so kind of interesting. Again, it's it's tradition. It's maybe uh, 
there's probably a little bit of superstition in there. Again, because what do we have? We have the commandment. We just read the commandment. The commandment has turned into these verses with Shaddai showing a third, one and a half hand breadth down, this far in, in tilted in with this on the bottom. You've got to add right, to. Right. You've got to add it to a lot of okay. a lot of whatever it means to bind this on the. I mean, write, this, write these on the doorpost, doorposts of your house and your gates has turned into a whole lot of things. So I just wonder yeah. why it was in why it was. Yeah. Well, there's lots. There's there lots of. There's lots of um, things like that. I mean, certainly that are written. You know, even the Jewish numbering system. You know, you won't write thing that looks too close to the divine name. There's all kinds of reasons why not to write it. In, and this parchment may not be a permanent parchment, and it's not all these, who knows, all the exact reasons, but it's just more of trivia than anything, so probably waste your time with the, the trivia. Going back to the why, why, hopefully we'll get to eventually, why, after we learn about this, why we would or would not want to participate in this tradition, I included in the italics there a, uh, a prayer, for Michael's sake I'll read it, uh, a prayer that, I mean, there's lots of different, there, there's a basic it's called a bracha, a natural blessing that is said when you affix the mezuzah. You say, you know, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments and has commanded us to affix the mezuzah. That's standard. But then the actual prayer that it may be said afterwards is it could be different. And I like this one because I think it's, 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 it's applicable to, you know, how we, how we would be looking at this beyond, again, beyond it being an icon or being warding away spirits and that kind of thing. We would say to whoever's assembled there, we are about to affix a mezuzah to the doorpost of this home, fulfilling the commandment of Torah. And again, commandment, you know, we can talk about, is it a commandment, is it not a commandment? And people sometimes give the rabbis a hard time, but the fact of the matter is, um, we can read, write them on the doorposts of houses and gates, and there's going to be questions about how we're going to do that. And we really want to follow what the Lord says. Does that mean write the entire Torah? Does it mean write that? We don't know. So I, I wouldn't necessarily put the rabbis down for having come up with what we've come up with. Um, so we're doing this to fulfill the commandment of Torah, the Torah being, the, the, the scripture being, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates, that the injunction to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might might be inscribed upon the doorposts of our homes. And I bolded that second part. That's actually not the, I meant just to bold the scripture part, so that's not correct. May the doors of this home be open to those in need of help. May its walls resound with words of wisdom, with happiness and joy. May it be blessed with peace. Our God and God of our fathers, we are grateful for this moment. We ask your blessing for all who enter this home. May the words we affix to this doorpost be inscribed upon our heart. May they be transcribed into our daily conduct. Then will your love be our sun and our shield, your Torah and light to our path. And let us say, Amen. And I think we can say Amen to that. Uh, which leads me to the next point I put in your notes that, you know, what could be another, again, another test? Some Jews are putting it up there again because they're Jewish and we put it up there. That's it, period. Some are putting it up there, again, for, uh, we can't judge hearts, but some might be putting it up there thinking, if I don't put it up there, I'm in trouble. Uh, and then some, and I hope that anyone in this room who has one up there, is putting it up there for more of the reasons that are talked about in this paragraph or reasons that, like the Steve mentioned, that we're, that we're dedicating our lives to the Lord. We're, we're saying that our home is a godly home, that the Torah, so the Torah in the sense of God's rule and reign, God's standards, God's righteousness is part of this home. It's actually the, the, the ruling part of this home. Um, I've often quoted this Joshua 24, which is interesting. It was in the prayer focus. I think you, you put that for the prayer focus today, Michael? Yes, it is. We didn't talk about it. If you notice, the, the top prayer focus has this prior to this uh, verse, I believe, um, in listed as the scripture that's a part of our prayer focus today. It's the opening to this 
Josh, very uh, famous Joshua 24, 14 through 15, which talks about, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And I kind of, I've often described that as when someone says, what's this mezuzah about? I can say, well, it's because it says in Deuteronomy 6, 4 that we're supposed to put them on our doorpost. Yes. But I would say also, to me, it's also saying that as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. And that is not something you find in Jewish tradition. You're not going to find that that's what Jewish tradition specifically says. Yes, Maurice. apologize for anyone that we put up in their house because you know, I printed them out on the computer. Oh, you're not supposed to. So it has to be on a kosher parchment written by a scribe. They did not have to use a copy thing to copy because it's a short text. It needs to be 22 lines, not that it's 22 verses. Um, it needs to be inspected. I, we, I think before you came in, we were talking about that every seven years, according to some schools of thought. Other schools of thought say every few years. So, no. Although... You know, that, that's actually, what you'll read when you read about the mezuzah is that they'll say, the thing, you know, there's all, the whole art of the box, so to speak, has become an art form in and of itself. You'll see all kinds that look like from different parts of the world. We have one now that kind of looks like a little genie lamp. It was probably from some Persian Jewish source or something. And then other more traditional looking ones. Um, and you can spend tons of money on them and not tons of money. At least, but they all will say the important thing, if you're going to spend money, is spend money on the cloth, the the, 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 the parchment, and that's got to be good. So, no, it's not supposed to be printed off. It's supposed yeah, to be all these details. Can we, how do we know that it's authentic? Well, it comes from Israel, and it says kosher. Yeah, that's that's it. That should kosher. do it. And, and, and how do we, and, uh, you know, who do you get to inspect your music? Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to have a scribe come to inspect it. I mean, this gets very, very detailed. I think my dad's has been up for 48 years. I don't know what's inside. I doubt it's ever been opened. It could be a blank piece of paper by now, for all I know. So, yeah, there's all kinds of that halakha or, you know, rulings about what it's supposed to be. But it is, it is specific that it is supposed to be on a kosher parchment, and it is supposed to be written by a scribe. Would it be considered sacrilegious to touch the parchment on which the... I mean, there, there, are, there are hierarchies of... Um, I wrote it down today. Hierarchies of holiness, um, sanctity. Certain things are more sanctified than others. You know, the, 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 the highest sanctified Jewish religious object is Torah. Then we come down to the tefillin or the talit. They touch the body. They're more than the mezuzahs further down there. So, is it sacrilegious to touch the Torah? Yes. Now, you, something can can be lowered, but it can't be raised. So, you know, the mezuzah can never be raised. Anyways, so uh, I would assume that, yes, if you were to touch that scroll, it would be kind of the same. Not the same as a Torah, but similar. Uh, in fact, when you touch the outside of the box, <laughs> there are some, I'm trying to remember if it's which group which group I was reading. It, would, it wasn't just Orthodox. It was like specifically like the Sephardic or the Ashkenazi. One touches the Torah with because we do a big thing of not touching the Torah with our hand. However, the fact of the matter is, if you touch the mantle, it's actually okay. Traditionally, you use a prayer book to touch. What you don't want to touch with your hand is the, the parchment. But we put a big fence around it, which I'm actually happy for. Michael does that because we say don't touch the, the mantle with your hand. We know you're not going to touch the parchment with your hand. But um, but the, one of these groups will touch like the Torah with the index finger, mezuzah with the pinky. 
like there's a specific, but that's the outside of the box, you know, the outside of the box. You asked the question, and I read the stuff, so <laughs> this is, there are, there are rules, there are governing, governing things here. Um, for the Torah, for the Torah itself, but you wouldn't do that with, because you're not necessarily reading the mezuzah text. So you're probably, only thing that's ever supposed to be visible is, were you hear when I talk about Shaddai? So the only thing should be visible, possibly visible, some boxes are made with a cutout. The word Shaddai in addition, is also written on there as well, on the back side, along with that upside-down text. And Shaddai is shown through. Shaddai is an acronym for Shomer Dalet Yisrael. So, uh, that, that could be touched, I guess, but otherwise you're read. But most things are never read that are in the mezuzah. They're just there. And when they're brought out and inspected, I'm sure they're inspected carefully. But, yeah, we, you know what? I, I changed the, the one I use for CYT today. I opened up my file, and I added lines, and I spaced it out so it would be 22 lines next time. It's as far as I went. I'm still going to print it out on a printer if anyone is wanting a, a, font, a text in their, in their mezuzah. So if you can, but you can order a kosher one if someone would like to. I mean, I would certainly let them know. But, again, it's not only anything mystical about the air. I mean, our Torah scroll is technically not kosher. If you're talking about a kosher Torah scroll that's perfect in every way, it probably wouldn't be considered kisti. Yeah, I've read this any number of times, and I've never come up with the idea that I needed to have a mezuzah. I mean, these words are not those words. It says to post these words on the doorposts of, of your house. Yeah. And I believe that the words they're talking about are the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Not, not Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Could it's be. the Ten Commandments. So just like I, I, I see a red stop sign, I've seen it before. You know, I know it says stop, but oh, this is a reminder. It's just, yeah. it's, and when I pass the words, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to honor my parents. Yeah. You know, I, I'm supposed to tell the truth and, and everything else. And non Jewish people have things in their home, probably reminding them. Some people have scripture and different things. It, it's a good segue you bring up, actually, because I was thinking about that because the more. You know, spiritual idea of that verse. I was thinking uh, could very well be, could or very well may have been the the real purpose and message. In other words, just that, like the real purpose and message of write these on the doorposts. Could have been more of a abstract spiritual idea of, you know, these should be a reminder of the need for God's law in the universe. Right? You put these things on, because there certainly is that idea when we read scripture that there's a more of a, a deeper idea or. a I, hate to, I use the word abstract, but you know what I mean. Not so much literal is what I mean. Um, however, as with biblical interpretation, I, it has been taken to the level of saying, nope, it's got to be, it says write it. How are we going to write this? And I'm sure lots of iterations of how to write this. Do we write it? What do we write? And it's come down to this. This is pretty set in tradition now as far as mezuzah, which leads me to my question, uh, discussion question here for a moment. Would you say this custom is, is wrong, a wrong thing to do? Is it a real stretch of the scripture? Would you say that affixing a mezuzah is just, it's completely extra biblical? Anyone, would anyone want to say that? Or does anyone have a problem Wait, with that? extra biblical and wrong. Okay, so I'm, I'm throwing out several questions. So, pick, you know, maybe, maybe, so you, would you say, would you say yes to one, no to the other? I'm just curious, does anyone have any well, thoughts? First of all, the intent of the mezuzah is to honor the Lord. I mean, that, that is where the rabbis are coming from. In some ways, if you want to trust Nine people to love the Lord with all your heart, and right? Yeah. Now, a person will decide, I don't need that to love the Lord or whatever. But the intent of whoever does it, I mean, why they came up with it in the first place, was to, they feel, um, honor the Lord in keeping his commandments. Yeah. So, um, I don't see how wrong comes into it unless, like with anything else in life, um, anything can become wrong if you make it an idol in some way. 
Yeah, amulet but makes for necklaces and so. Right. Yeah. So in that sense, you could, but that it's only wrong because it has to, to, to make it that or anything else wrong by making So nothing inherently, but it could lead that way like many other things. Well, like anything else. Yeah. Yeah, well, like you were saying, you know, it, it's not wrong unless you get to the point where you're going to do this, I mean, well, do this, I'm in big trouble. Mm. Yeah, you, you replace God with Mazuzah, right, right. then you're in big trouble. You are in big trouble. <laughs> What's interesting is that uh, a tradition is neutral. It can be good or bad. Yeah. I mean, there are tons of traditions in the church, and there are tons of traditions in the synagogue. Uh, they all have to be evaluated on basis of how do they fit with Scripture? Are they uh, are they okay based on what we know of Scripture, or th are they not okay? And so, if they're extra biblical, uh, that's okay as long as they uh, reflect. Uh, reality about who God is and so on, and are not contradictory. Right. Quite frankly, I find them contradictory sometimes. I mean, the fact of the matter is, it's, it's no differently contradictory in some cases than you go to a friend's house you had no idea was a believer, and there's a Bible in their house. Huh. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Almost contradictory in the sense of, you know, there's plenty of Jewish people, I think they may have them on their door, that God's the last thing in their mind. They haven't been to Shabbat service in 10 years, you know. So, did you, Afram, did you, can you raise I saw your hand over there. This is this is praise for, words from Caesar, please. Mesuza <laughs> is tradition and part of the Torah. With the right over there, this need a rabbi to bless this house with the mezuzah. Mm. You bring a rabbi and he do it that. Mm. That's tradition. So certainly nothing. Nothing. When I, 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 I threw this question out there, you know, is it wrong? Is it a stretch of the text? I think Steve's saying, at least for him, at a minimum, I'm not putting put words in your mouth, but I would think you say it's a stretch of what you would ever have thought of from the, reading that text, it sounds like. I would put the Ten Commandments on my door. Gotcha. I had to, when we were raising our kids, I had a poster of the Ten Commandments in our kitchen yeah. on the wall behind me. Whenever our kids looked at me, they saw the Ten Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Anyone else have any thoughts about that in terms of what, uh, I mean, anything beyond what's been said? I mean, I think it seems like maybe we all agree. I'm not sure. Sure. Well, it says um, to write them, you know, on the doorpost of your house. But it doesn't say write them on a piece of paper and put it in a box on your door. That's true. And so, to me, it's like they're not doing exactly like, you know. Well, this leads a lot to a lot of questions that come, like, with this study, for instance, of God's, you know, appointed customs. We find, are they really appointed? Are they, are they in the and the fact of the matter is there's lots of things you read in Scripture. Uh, if you remember Joe Charnas, my friend Joe was here years ago. There are things you read, and, and you don't know exactly how you're supposed to do that. You know? I mean, I'm, what's the menorah supposed to look like? Well, God showed Moses, but he didn't leave the drawing for us, you know. There's things like that. So you're right. It, it, it doesn't say how, but we are left with a lot more in Scripture than I think, you know, we want to admit Old Testament, New Testament even sometimes with how we're supposed to really do some of these things. And so on the one hand, I think we find a lot of good things in rabbinic tradition, if you will, which, again, is all over. I can't even say that rabbinic tradition because what what era of time are we talking about? 
what rabbi are we talking? It, it can vary as well, but I would just use that term loosely, rabbinic tradition, to mean anything throughout the centuries that is that a rabbi, so to speak, has codified, has come up with, that we can look at. They've, they've done, uh, we often may put that down, but in, in one sense, I think it's a good effort in a lot of cases to try to, to, to put into practice what the, what the, the word says, because sometimes we just don't know exactly what but it says. you what have to like, pay money for all these different steps you have to go through to make sure it's exactly the correct right thing? No, pay money to make sure it's written on the right paper and the writing by the right person and it's kosher and it's this and that. Like, it's really legalistic. I know it's legalistic, but it certainly is a, uh, you, you know, most likely uh, at this point, yeah, if you want to buy a mezuzah, like, they're on Amazon and they're not free. And you're probably right. If you want a scribe to come out to check it, I doubt it's going to be free. I mean, I, I don't believe it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a yes and no. Do I believe you know all these different kosher seals are all about money making? No, but are they all? Do they all make a lot of money? Probably because you want the, this seal or that seal. That's not. It's this kind of kosher. It's not. I'm not going to mention names, but there's different. You know, it's like there's organic from the USDA. There's also organic from other groups, and which one's the good one? And they, are they all making money? Yeah, they are in some sense. Is that the genesis of them, the reason for them? I don't think so. But, yeah, you're going to – it's a business. There's a, there's a kosher business, and there's a mezuzah business. by a priest. I mean, it's not any different. I mean, you know, you go to – there are probably some churches that would marry somebody. Yeah. Uh, we don't particularly like to just perform a wedding for someone that would just call out of the blue. But there are churches, maybe other groups that would, and they probably have a fee for it. Absolutely. You know? Uh, I, I was just going to say uh, uh, the truth, Cheryl, is you can get a mezuzah for a couple of bucks. Yeah, yeah, they're not tremendously expensive. And again, so, you, so, you could carve one in your door and put one, you know. Yeah, so like anything else, you can go uh, whole lamb with it and spend boku bucks and go legalistic. That's always an option. Yeah, our kids have made, made some before, like for the kids' the kids' classes, we made some for crafts one year, and they sold it for a fundraiser. You know, believe me, it was not expensive. Yes. In, in, oh. in the um, absence, when you have, as we do in many areas of scripture, uh, when absolute detail was given, for example, it's Shabbat. Yeah. It, it gives you a few things. It doesn't give you a minute-by-minute blue, blue bag look mm-hmm. how, how we do that. Um, it's really up to the person. If a person wishes to put a mezuzah on their house, mm-hmm. it's a good thing if that's what you want to do, yeah. right? If you decide that, since it's not specifically described as exactly like that, if they don't want to do it, then don't do it. So I, I'm, I don't see that this has to be a, a concerning issue for anybody. I mean, if you mm-hmm. think it's too much trouble, don't do it. Mm-hmm. If you think it's a great thing, do it. I, I think the operating principle is an important piece, though, yeah. if, uh, that the Word of God is in our life, and that we That's learn to see it as an authority, and that God has words for us to hear. Sure. Let me take one more, because John had something to say, then I want to move to the next section, if you don't mind. Well, I was just going to say, it's like, isn't, isn't it true with, with, with whatever the tradition or whatever the, the thing is, uh, you look at, what's the heart? What's the heart and the mind behind it. What's what? It, where is it? Where is it coming from? What? It, what is the? What's the heart? What's the true intent? And that's and that's and again that's for me. If you remember back to the first class that we started, uh, which was uh, Bar Bat Mitzvah, one of the things I talked about is that in any of the stuff we study, I want to look at it from the perspective of, of 
of an addition to understanding the, the tradition, maybe its foundation or its background, is from a you know an outreach perspective in the sense of you know how will we relate to Jewish people. Understanding that on the one hand, um, don't assume the Jewish person knows all the background here. In some cases, it's tradition, and that's enough for them as well. We need to be respectful of that. Um, if we're going to adopt any of these traditions, I think it should be for more. It should be for some other reasons. Which I'm going to get into in a minute here. You know why would we we do that? Um, the big picture of the mezuzah, again, is that of, oh, before I even get there, I was going to say, uh, I, put in, I think I put this in your notes, that believers may have their reasons for displaying the mezuzah. Because there's probably people, there are plenty of non-Jewish people, I'm certain, that have mezuzahs at their house. And some of those reasons could be, I love Jewish people. Uh, it's a reminder for me to pray for them. It's a reminder that as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I mentioned that. Um, and whether it's visible or not, whether or not you had something visible in your house like that that says these kind of things to you or all these wonderful things we've said, um, whether you got a mezuzah on your home or not, a believer in Yeshua, a believer in God, their attitude and their practice should clearly convey to people around them that they are just that. It shouldn't just, again, it shouldn't be, you shouldn't be the one where, oh, you have a Bible in your house, huh, you know, or... You know, oh, you got a mezuzah. I know you're Jewish. Or I joke about like when you know, you, it always makes you feel good when someone you mentioned you were at the gym and someone says, "Oh, you work out." You're like, "Yeah." Uh, and you want to say, "Well, not, not all the time," you know, because you think you hope it's maybe you, you don't look like you might hopefully look like you might exercise a little bit or something. So you don't want it to be like that. You want it to be kind of hopefully obvious that just yes, I'm a believer. I have a Bible here. So regardless whether you've got that visible mezuzah or not, uh, your life should should convey that. The big picture again. The big picture of the mezuzah is that it is identification. It is a Jewish thing. And I think we should be careful about, um, I hate to use the word sacrilegious because no one has the market cornered on certain things on the one hand. But on the other hand, we should realize that this really marks somebody, This sh- it would be a sh- not a shock, it would be um, surprising to somebody if you had a mezuzah, you have a Jewish, per- like a secular Jewish person saw a mezuzah on your house and you're not Jewish. It is a very uh, identifiably a Jewish thing with Jewish people. And then beyond that, hopefully it should be something that says, you know, uh, not only are you a Jewish person, but that you've got a certain commitment to the Word of God, and that you would ser- serve Him with your home, and that He's the pr- provision for your home, and so forth. I put another couple questions on here in this line of, of, of thought that I think are important. Uh, and should non-Jews affix a mezuzah to their house? Is that appropriate? And if so, why? And if and if not, why? And I don't know that we're going to figure that out. If anyone has a strong thought about it, I mean, I mentioned a little bit to that effect. Like I've said before, if someone wanted to wear uh, tzitzit, tefillin, or kippah, you want to wear yarmulke all the time, you can. Keep in mind that what it is saying, saying many things. It is saying, you might think, well, you know exactly why you're doing it. I don't think anyone enters into that lightly. Um, but you might think it's because I'm showing that, you know, I'm putting God's commandments out there for me to remember, so it'll be with me throughout the whole day. When I look in the mirror, I recognize that there's an authority over me. God's there. I see the fringes. That's wonderful. You also have to realize what it's saying to the outside world as well which is important. It's saying that you're a religious Jew, and maybe you're not. And maybe that'd almost be weird for a Jewish person to see you wearing that. Again, this is not condemnation. These are just things for you to consider. So again, should a non-Jew have a mezuzah on their house? Any thoughts about that? Yes. What's your... Um, if, if there's... If there's uh, our, our approach uh, for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years has been to encourage people, uh, Jews or Gentiles, uh, to put up a mezuzah in, in their house. And if they're not Jewish, and if they're asked to simply say, no, I'm not Jewish, 
I am part of a Messianic Jewish congregation, and I identify as such. And so it's a mark of identification. And as well, um, for us, it has uh, been uh, an opportunity for the person who is putting up the mezuzah to say, it's not only a reminder of the, uh, the fact that the Word of God needs to be in my house, but it's also an opportunity um, to dedicate the person and the house to the Lord. Uh, as they, uh, Rabbi David pointed out, it's Hanukkah Habayit, it's the dedication of the house, and you're saying this mezuzah is a reminder to me that, uh, that my commitment the number one priority in my life is to see God, God's presence here. And so this is not just my house, it's God's house. And, and I, by putting the mezuzah in before the witnesses, i.e. people from the congregation of Mishpacha, we're saying, um, I'm committed to uh, having the Lord in my house. So f we have used it as an opportunity uh, for a variety of needs that are associated with that. Yeah, so we're not, in, clearly, we're not, we, in general, cannot please all the people all the time. We know that. We're not trying to. Uh, you know, we certainly have examples of Paul talking about being all things to all people, and some people critique that, and I've preached on that before, and it's not necessarily just being malleable in situational ethics and that kind of thing. So on the one hand, you know what, you rest, you rest, uh, comfortably and, and peacefully knowing what you're doing and why you're doing and some of my other questions here, you know, what could it say to a Jew? Could it be a stumbling block? You know, what could it say to a Jew? It could say to a Jew you're Jewish, it could say to a Jew you're, you're being sacrilegious with our, with our tradition. It could also say the opposite. It could be wonderful. Wow, that's, that's awesome. Sometimes that's a positive. I love the Jewish people. I support Israel. These kind of things. Um, could it be a witness? Yes. Could it be a testimony? Yes. All kinds of that stuff. So we have to know why we're doing what we do and I think it is, I mean, I think it is appropriate, but again, just, I, I want to bring out the, the thoughts, because sometimes, you know, people come and they, oh, that's, that's so beautiful, and I want to do that. Well, you should find out what, what you're doing when you do that, or, you know, I, I remember seeing a commercial about uh, prayer shawls. It was some very kind of outwardly, um, I don't know what, what the type of ministry would be. It just, it was a some sort of television church or something, and they were selling talits, you know, prayer shawls, and I believe they were saying all kinds of good stuff about the talit, but I, but they, it was also very it's kind of offensive. I just kind of felt that they were like, there were all these testimonies about how my life has changed since I got the talit and the talit. And you had to realize that you're saying you're saying some things about that when you just think the talit is it a beautiful symbol? Can we talk about the symbolism of a prayer shawl? Yes, but it's also it is it is a it, it's something we should we should handle carefully, especially in our context because we are we are looking hopefully to relate to Jewish people, to understand a Jewish mindset. We talk about having a Jewish heart. So all these things are important, I think, in this context, um, for sure. Um, so, and I think that's something, as, as a non-Jew, huh? that's something that, yeah, that I feel that I have to be aware of often. Huh? And I'll give you an example. Um, every Saturday morning, on my way um, to get, uh, get Gregor's service. Is this a bagel sandwich story? <laughs> That's the Starbucks story. Oh, okay. The lady that uh, that works at, at uh, Starbucks, uh, she uh, her her parents and she grew up Jewish, and so she's like, "You're going to 
you're in service. And so now every Saturday on my way in, as soon as I walk through the door, she will holler to me, Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> and so somebody said to me, are you Jewish? And I used your, because I, I think that's the way that I said no. I attend a Messianic Jewish congregation and I associate myself with, with that. And, da, da, da. and because that comes up, because the first thing that the gentleman turns and he looks, and, and I'm like, I, I think that Mr. Goldstein is, is looking at me going, wait a minute, what's up with this? Yeah. You know, because, and so I want to be, yeah. I want to make sure that I'm not offending that right. individual. But at the same time, it, to her, it reminds her, and she's like, you know, sometime I'm going to have to come. And I'm like, I think that would be great. And so, you know, it, it starts these conversations. Yeah. But, but uh, to, like anything, no matter what the tradition, inside, outside, whatever, you have to make sure, and that, to me, is that key phrase, mm-hmm. is, is it not, uh, the last thing I want to do is be a stumbling right. block. And again, again, in some ways, we can't walk on glass necessarily. In, in we may, we may not be. Um, that's why I put a few other things about the mezuzah there too, because you learn about the mezuzah. When you read the literature, it'll talk about if you, if the Jewish person leaves a home, they should remove the mezuzah, unless they know another Jewish person's moving in. But if they know it's a Gentile person, they should remove it, unless they think it'd be a blessing for the Gentile person. I mean, that, that's kind of how the how the how the different things go. So, so you know, so again, could it be a stumbling block? Yes. Could it be a witness? Yes. Could it be? You know what I mean? It's exactly how the how the how the, 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 the texts go. Again, when you walk into the house, traditionally you touch the mezuzah. Any, any walking into the house or in the room, touch the mezuzah, kiss it. Now, you could do that. I mean, in a Jewish person's house, I don't know whether you should do that with their mezuzah or not. If they know you're not Jewish, maybe yes, maybe no. But this is things to consider, things to pray about, things to realize. When they kiss it, we're just we're not idolizing it. We're showing respect and honor, that kind of thing. Um, but again. These are things to think about, you know. Just don't assume that, oh, it's a mezuzah, and I have a right to mezuzah like anyone else, and it reminds me of this, so I am going to touch it and kiss it. Possibly the person's house you're in might find it offensive. Possibly they might think, well, that's awesome. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know? But think, consi- I, the reason I bring it up is to consider that it could be one or the other, that it's not just, I know the beauty of the mezuzah, I know what it reminds me of, and I'm going to, I'm going to touch it and kiss it or whatever. But know that that's the kind of stuff that happens. So I just put those questions in here. Is it offensive for a Jewish person did it, a non-Jewish person did it, and so forth? Um, in the little bit of time we have remaining, I just at least want to bring bring it <laughs> popular. Yeah. At least want to bring your attention to, um, you know, I think Barney in his book, if you do read the chapter, uh, rightfully mentioned that there's no reference to a mezuzah in the New Testament anywhere. On the one hand, on the other hand, I put a few references in your in your in your uh, notes to not the mezuzah. But to this text, because I think we should not ignore the fact that Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and 11, and I, specifically 6, 4 through 9, is referenced uh, at a minimum three times. I put a fourth time, I believe, Deuteronomy 6, 4 is referenced. There could even be more. There are three times in the Gospels. You'll probably remember when in Matthew 22, uh, verses 34 to 40, a Pharisee, <clears throat> and a uh, Pharisee uh, who, it's, the text says, uh, questioned Yeshua to test him. Uh, saying, hey, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Which commandment in the law is the greatest? So, for example, um, and, and when it tells about the greatest, literally what that means I put there is literally what it says more in Greek is, of what kind, like which of the commandments or the writs or the decrees 
is the greatest, or really it's the word for big, like it's megale, the word for large, which is the largest, you know, uh, what, what kind of the commandments is the largest in the Torah, okay? Um, and Yeshua's answer was this passage, in addition to Leviticus, uh, passage from Leviticus about your neighbor. And he says, Yeshua said that this is what I said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, this is the greatest and the first commandment. And, and just a quick diversion, this is a whole other question, but when you look at this, this reference, you look at the Mark reference, which is also in your text, and the Luke reference, you'll see this is translated differently. And some have argued, oh, that these guys didn't even know the Tanakh, because it doesn't say all your you know, soul with all your mind. It says all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Well, the fact of the matter, there's reasons as to, there's no misquote here going on. Uh, but that word in Hebrew uh, really uh, is the word me'od. Basically, the text literally says, With all your heart, all your nefesh, your soul, with all your muchness. Very muchness. So it can, I mean, it's pretty much your everything. When you look at the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, you could preach on that text alone the fact that you should love the Lord. And I think it gets into this. There's no kind of um, wiggle room in there. You know, you love what you got in this way with all your heart, your soul. We can say mind and strength because it's all your variness. It really means very. It's not even very much. It's just very. Like if I say thank you very much, okay, I'd say, I'd say, you know, or I'd say tov, tov, or very good, tov me'od, very good, just very. So all, with all your variness, what does that mean? Is that your strength? Is that your mind? Is that it's just it's sort of like everything? And then you're supposed to talk about it when you get up, when you lie down, when you walk along the road. I'm looking for an out there. When can I not talk about it or think about it? Or, <laughs> there's really no out there. So it is a pretty big, I think, in a sense, um, the greatest commandment. In other words, the hardest. It's a big task. Um, it's also, Yeshua says here, that it's the largest in terms of priority and quality. That's the, the, there's a, like, first, the word there uses first, meaning proton. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean first, like, the first thing. I mean, first can also mean more than just like first in a list. Do you know what I mean? It can mean the best of something. Like you were to give the first fruits of your land in Genesis. You know, why was the, the one, one, one offering accepted? Why was one offering not accepted in, in Genesis? Some people want to talk about it. it was blood. It was that. Well, no, it was the best of. And one gave the best and one gave some. I think that's more the explanation there. So that's what the idea about the, the first or the best or the biggest so that's an example. So I wanted to bring attention to. I think that there is some attention on the one hand, not to criticize your thoughts, Steve, that you put the Ten Commandments there. I think that's that's makes a lot of sense as well. But I think that this also, this particular text, is pretty important as well, because Yeshua said it is the greatest, it is the first, uh, and I take it as the very one most important. In other words, if you can get you know, if you can get this straight, that'd be the first thing. And the fact is, it's a pretty big thing to get straight. The love, what's that? The heaviest. The heaviest, to get to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your veriness, with all your very muchness, and to speak about him and his statutes, his decrees, his ordinances, his standards at all times. When you're lying down, when you get up, when you walk on the road, when you come in, when you go out, when you're with your kids. You know, all these, to me, it's a very great, big commandment. So on the one hand, we talk about the mezuzah and what's in there. I wanted to look at that, think about that actual text that's in there for a minute. The other place we see it is in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. I believe this is a parallel to the Matthew passage. Um, doesn't specifically say a test there, and this is a scribe that asked him. He said again, 
which commandment is the first of all, or of what sort is primary. And he says, the first is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. Again, there's four there. And, and again, I still think it, it encompasses the idea. The fact of the matter is that the, the Shema, that being read three times a, a day or four times a day in some cases, was probably not even codified at that time. So to argue that, oh, Mark or Matthew weren't even good Jews, they would have known the Shema, yes and no. What probably wasn't even a thing yet where they were doing this kind of stuff. Um, and he says, the second is this, you should love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment. There's no other commandment greater than these. Some will, argue, will talk about that these, these are linked together. It's not that, 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 that the one is the first and one is the second, meaning the neighbor is the second and the other one is the first, but they're all encompassing in one and that they kind of encompass the first several of the Ten Commandments where there's a love to God and then the neighbor covers the second half where it's horizontal, horizontal uh, love there too. The other reference I put in there is Luke chapter 10. This is a different account, I believe. I think this is probably something that he was asked several times. It was probably going around. Um, and this one where it says that he was asked, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. But, but don't, necessarily, don't, necessarily read that, uh, that, don't necessarily read that test word as a, um, as a hostile word necessarily. It doesn't necessarily apply hostility. Certainly not in this case. Um, and he says, what must I do to inherit life? Yeshua turned it around and asked him, what do you think? And he said he basically had the same thing. Um, and we could talk about what eternal life meant, what life forever means, and that kind of stuff. Um, but that's kind of off topic a bit. Big picture again, that these accounts show that God's standards, serving only him with everything, treating others well, something that I would hope a mezuzah in your home would remind you of, is in fact a great command, the first thing to get straight. Um, and not much different than... Uh, I think when you look at this, this account here in Luke, for example, with, that, with him facing that, and he mentioned it himself, that I should, this should be my first and greatest thing, uh, instead of recognizing his inability to do this, because he goes on to say, who is my neighbor? Um, and I think the implication there is that maybe I can't necessarily live up to this you know, standard, or I, I'm not necessarily doing this with my neighbor, so let me at least find out who my neighbor is. Instead of asking Yeshua's help, he looked to kind of rework the demand of the law a little bit in order to see how maybe he could satisfy it. And I don't think, you know, I don't think that's much different than a lot of believers today. I think we often uh, come up with, you know, the mantra is, the law is just too much, and thank God we don't have to keep it. Thank God we don't have to live it out. We're free from that. In essence, that's kind of that same attitude uh, of the lawyer, I believe. Um, the final reference, I know Marisha had a question. Um, and I, is it long, when you think? Because we read on. What, what is, it's not long, but I, I, okay. if it's 8 o'clock, I can ask. Maybe it'll benefit. Do you think it'll benefit the, the group? I don't know. Go ahead and ask me. Well, it was. For a comment, please. Why were there such important body commandments in this? They, they being. These, the scribe, the lawyer. Oh. Why would, it been, why would it have been crucial for them to know what the what body commandments would be? Well, I think it, 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 this does get into probably the bigger question because you really look at this passage. But I think certainly in the Matthew and Mark, when you look in context there, I think there was a there was a, a trickiness, a testing. There was Sadducees came and they answered one way. He shut them down, and then someone else, someone else right before Matthew twenty two asked about uh, about the resurrection, and so he answered that one. Let's see how he answers this one. I think it was more of a of a testing question as opposed to 
the loop might have actually been more genuine. And again, I think I think uh, in this case there was a. It seems to me like there was a little bit of. I know the I know the answer to this, but I really don't. I know I'm not living up to it, kind of thing. I think there was more of a, a, a conflict, you know, spiritual conflict in, per, in this person going on. But in some cases, so I think you got a little bit of both. I think you've got there was just literally there was testing of Yeshua. These these were keepers of the keepers of the authority, the religious authority, and they wanted to find out what this guy was about. So there's a little bit of testing it's, to see how it answers. So was there a was there a? Sorry, I thought maybe I should ask it. Yeah. Was there a, a common belief that there was some common belief that you know there was. Really came from the 613 that was from the Jews to the 10. Was there a common belief that really God and, and man that there were two that were the greatest? Did Yeshua yeah. himself know that? Yeah, I would, I would, in, I would, um, uh, infer from the responses and these three accounts that but I would say the inference for sure is that this was acceptable as his yeah. answer. No one said, you're crazy. It's got to be the, yeah. you know, the, 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 the bull sacrifice or something like that. I think that, that much we know. The, the final thing I'll, I'll say, because we just a couple minutes here, is uh, just, for your, just, just for your reference, in James chapter 2, because some people don't often think of this as maybe a reference to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 as well, but I believe it is. Um, that's basically saying that the, the Shema, I can read that real quick, that the Shema, this was certainly, and it may be goes to your question, Maurice, is that it was a cornerstone. How, how codified was it at the time? Uh, I don't know, but it certainly was a cornerstone, I think, of belief and faith. In, in James chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, talk about works, faith and works and so forth. And James says, or Yaakov says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. Well, that's a whole, we get into that whole discussion. Says you believe that God is one. In other words, your faith, your belief. You believe that God is one. <coughs> you do well. Now you believe that God is one. I think it's a pretty clear reference to Deuteronomy six, uh, four. Um, you believe that God is one. You do well. And he says, even the demons believe and shudder. So my point being is that I think it was a pretty. I think that when we think of the mezuzah, we should think of the tradition. We should think of what it reminds us of, and we should also think of that text as well. That text. Not that it is the end-all, be-all, and it should be the Ten Commandments, or it should be the whole Torah and then a little tiny, I don't know. But I think that we should not uh, overlook what I think in the New Testament is used several times as a pretty important um, piece of Scripture, if that makes sense. So, Michael, would you mind closing this for Father, it's been said earlier tonight, and we say it again, that uh, we've been bought with a price, and that we don't, we are not our own. And so I think about that as we've been talking to end this part of the study of the Shemot. Pray that we would all know that, that who we belong to and why we belong to him. And we just ask, Lord, that you would bless us as we go our separate ways, protect us, and watch over and help us all to come back safely on Shabbat. And we give you all glory and honor. Yeshua's mighty name. Amen.